0: Hello, everyone. My name is Brandon Paradosky. I'm here with Sheldon Munro, and we have the amazing opportunity of speaking with Dr. Francis Christian today. Dr. Christian is a surgeon. He's held a professorship um, at the University of Saskatchewan of Surgery. He's been an editor of the Journal of Surgical Humanities, and above all else, is a poet. So without further ado, thank you, Dr. Christian, for taking the time and speaking with us today.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Brandon. It's a pleasure and privilege to be on your YouTube channel.
0: So just before we get going, um, would you mind telling us about how you got into surgery and sort of your background and expertise?
1: Sure. So um, the fact uh, is, I'm actually from a medical family, and my grandfather was was a doctor, my father was a surgeon, uh, and that's not the reason I became a surgeon. I uh, I, I was writing poetry when I was from since I was a teenager, and initially I wanted to be a poet. And I became a surgeon because I became convinced that uh, the life of a physician and then a surgeon, because it had the human narrative, like a wide open book. Uh, before it all the time, um, with, with its joys, its sufferings, its highs, its lows. Um, it would, in fact, be a good, uh, and, and it, it would be like the right and left ar- arms of my existence. In other words, it wouldn't conflict with my desire to be a poet, and, and one would enhance, as it were, the other. Uh, as you know uh, being a physician being a being a surgeon is uh, it, it, it's many years and long years of training uh, i actually enjoyed the training very much uh, mind you we didn't have many of the protected hours which present-day residents have uh, we just worked through and our bosses if we if they thought we had not slept at night, they would give us the next day off. Uh, But on the other hand, uh, I can say with great confidence that uh, we who trained as surgeons in the old way, as it were, um, we didn't suffer adversely because we didn't have protected hours and days off and, um, and so on. And I actually welcome the the focus on residents' well-being. But it is a fallacy to assume that just because somebody works X number of hours, they will automatically be stressed. Uh, stresses in surgery and medicine come from different quarters. And I think... Um, some of the stresses that present-day students, not just in medicine but in other fields, are facing in our universities, were not present when when I was in university and when I was training to be a surgeon. So I don't uh, yeah, I don't believe that just a number of hours working or studying is is a reason for stress. In fact, I used to tell my residents that. Uh, I know of surgeons and, I, and I've known surgeons throughout my career who don't want to go home because they have a lousy marriage. And so um, when, when they talk of life-work balance, uh, it's important to get that right and to essentially believe that that goes much beyond number of hours worked. So I became a surgeon um, uh, about 30 years ago. And um, when I uh, was in the University of Saskatchewan, uh, I was, as you point out, professor of surgery, but I also had two other uh, roles. I was director of quality and patient safety. So quality improvement is not just a, a medical concept, it also is an industrial concept, it comes from industry. It comes from always trying to, uh, to learn from our errors and to constantly improve in the service of our patients. So quality improvement is a huge part of surgery. And I was director of quality improvement for the department of surgery and patient safety, which is a related concept. Uh, In that role, I brought into our department of surgery in Saskatchewan, the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program, which is based out of Chicago. It is also affiliated to the American College of Surgeons. And um, it it is a very data intensive program so you know when, when the mainstream media says that the experts say, uh, usually they don't even identify these experts, and then when these fact checks happen by Reuters and AP, they, the people who do these fact checks on COVID, for example, are not even doctors, uh, but they ignore the fact that 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 people like me actually have had a lot of data intensive training and work uh, such as is required for analyzing the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program uh, metrics and so on. Uh, and I also teamed up with a computer science department here to develop an app which is still available for iPhone and Android. Uh, It used to be available for BlackBerry too, which used the Android platform. And um, essentially it's the morbidity and mortality app. In other words, if patients, uh, if surgical patients die or uh, have a complication, uh, residents uh, uh, and even medical students can record it on, uh, on their on their rounds in the wards uh, on a on an immediate basis because the the app is available in their pocket and that app as far as I know is still being used throughout the province of Saskatchewan. Now that was one of my roles. The other, of course, as professor of surgery, is teaching uh, medical students, which I have been doing really all my life, and then a retraining of surgical residents. Uh, there was a third role I had and that I, w- I was also director of surgical humanities. Now, um, what, what does happen and was happening is that, uh, for example, a, uh, a girl of let's say 21 who enters uh, medical school or surgical training Um, might have been uh, an uh, an expert uh, concert pianist before she entered medical school, Uh, or uh, she might've been a poet or a writer or an artist. And then they get into the business of medicine and they lose touch with that creative side of their Mm -hmm. lives, Mm -hmm. And then uh, that's that's a real tragedy. So one of the goals of the of the department that I've co-founded, uh, the department of Surgical Humanities, is to engage uh, these men and women, these residents, medical students, uh, nurses, to uh, with the arts, the the human narrative. So my conviction has always been that you can't really look after the human patient if you don't know the human narrative so the human narrative uh joy suffering the suffering of disease the pain of uh, of 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 people dying things like that Uh, you can't learn that from medical textbooks you have to know the human narrative you have to know um, art music painting poetry history medical history and so on And in that role, uh, we did a number of things, but in addition, I founded a Journal of the Surgical Humanities, and I was its founding editor and uh, uh, editor-in-chief, and it achieved a worldwide circulation. So that was my role, and uh, um, it's, it's a career that I have enjoyed immensely.
2: I think that would lead us right into, actually, perfectly um, medical ethics. Then. And, and do you think that this would be particularly a reason, at least, uh, for maybe why many believe to have, medical ethics have, have strayed from their, their original values or importances in a sense, in a way that we've lost our students, maybe particularly, have not um, had uh, been reiterated to them the importance of having such things as a connection with the humanities or the human side of, 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 of life prior to going into to, to the uh, Tremendous amount of work that it takes to to become a surgeon is is this particularly particular reason for this? You'd say? Um, I'm not sure I completely
1: understood mm-hmm. that question, and that's I think because there was a little bit of echo in oh. in, in what I was hearing, <laughs> but 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 I think the question was uh, medical ethics as it applied uh, at one time and as it applies now and yes. my comments on it. Is that what the question was?
2: Yes, exactly. Yes. Maybe a little bit of the history of the medical ethics, how it's, how it's potentially changed um, up until recent date and, and to the factors yeah. that you, you may attribute to that change in medical ethics.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm happy to address that because I think it's vital to the work you guys are engaged in as well, which is students against mandates. Um, well, Let me put it this way, medical ethics to have any meaning at all must take its direction from a a transcendent idea of truth. Uh, In other words, there has to be a body of moral and spiritual um, ethics that exists outside ourselves from which we draw those ideals. Uh, And that's how ethics has been understood for centuries, by the way. It's not my personal definition. Uh, Transcendent truth, and those who believe in God, believe it comes from God himself. Uh, If you don't believe in God, as uh, some of uh, our friends and relatives don't, uh, they still believe in that in those ethics uh, derived from a belief in God. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, I mean, we we, uh, we we obviously hope and pray that they will come to a belief in the author and mover of those ethics and so on. But the fact is reaching beyond oneself, beyond our, uh, finite worlds into transcendent truth was the source of all ethics, not just medical ethics, uh, including the Hippocratic old. Uh, and that, that is the case not just uh, with the Hippocratic old, but uh, of course, throughout the years and centuries of Christian civilization in the West and East, Uh, And the case with uh, the the great Islamic uh, Muslim physicians of the golden age of Islam, uh, which was a a, a flowering of art and culture in the Middle Ages, where Islam uh, was actually far more scientifically advanced than the West. Uh, But all that time was informed by this belief in transcendent truth that comes from God himself. Uh, Hippocratic Oath, uh, a lot of people talk about it nowadays, uh, and they forget, of course, that uh, the start of the Hippocratic Oath, as Hippocrates wrote it, is the invocation of the Greek gods, and the, and, and a desire for, uh, for these beings, however they understood them, to inform the affairs of of mankind uh, and and that has been the the goal of medical ethics for centuries right uh, of course now uh, as i point out in my substack on medical ethics uh, i do have a substack it's called uh, francischristian one word dot substack.com and you can put that in your notes uh, after our our youtube uh, interview But in that, I point out how uh, a lot of medical schools actually don't take the Hippocratic Oath anymore. Uh, That might come as a surprise to the lay public, but uh, I would invite you to just look it up. Uh, A a large percentage uh, of medical schools in the Western world and the Eastern world, but much more in the West, do not take the Hippocratic Oath uh now why is that and why is uh this this question of medical ethics so important for our time um that it's it's a complex uh number of reasons why medical ethics has fallen from its high place in our lives and in the lives of physicians but uh, a big part of the reason for that is because of the arrival of postmodernism in our universities, postmodernism is this idea that you don't need these meta narratives of truth. You don't need to go and derive truth from a being or a um, or, or God as centuries of human progress understood it. You don't need that, according to postmodernism. You can make your own truth so that is why uh you know uh, even students nowadays say okay uh, you know that is your truth and this is my truth so uh this uh, th- this nonsense of um hum- fallible uh, extremely um uh, imperfect human beings being able to make their own versions and multiple versions, by the way, mm-hmm. of truth is part, well, it's a large part of what is behind the decline of our universities.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, and, and people think that all, that decline started with the COVID era, uh, but the evidence shows otherwise. Mm-hmm. And even in medical practice, uh, for example, uh, guidelines by themselves, in medical practice can be very helpful, can be useful. But if guidelines become the be all and end all of everything, the, in other words, the, 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 the complete truth, the guideline, mm-hmm. uh, then it becomes a God, an idol, mm-hmm. uh, being worshiped, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that change in medicine happened probably uh, two decades ago, I realized more and more guidelines are coming into place. Many of these guidelines are actually written by people funded by big pharma. And then students don't engage in critical thinking, but instead just look at this algorithmic way of thinking, which may be good for a a computer that's simulating human intelligence, but it's not good for people, human beings interacting with each other, Uh, because a human being, the very word being means something that goes beyond physiology, beyond mm-hmm. our what we can tangibly touch and move. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, the, the decline of our universities actually started in the 1930s uh, with the Frankfurt School. And your viewers can should look it up. Frankfurt School uh, and the decline of our universities uh, postmodernism, which uh, was uh, a 20th century phenomenon, uh, phenomenon uh, started with uh, some of the continental philosophers, um, you know, Derrida and Lacan, Foucault. These are the guys who brought some of these uh, ways of thinking into our universities. But regardless of who started it and who promoted it, it, it the takeover of our universities started in the 60s and 70s by the 80s and certainly by the beginning of the 90s, it was essentially complete.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, the, the corruption in our universities, this, this, uh, this, 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 this inability to see beyond oneself
2: mm-hmm.
1: is also what is behind some of these mandates because uh, some of these nonsensical mandates don't make any sense uh you and I know that they don't make any sense. We know that this vaccine does not prevent transmission, does not prevent uh infection, is not indicated in healthy young young people. uh we know all that uh and 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 you know the postmodern way our universities function uh they look at that and they say that is your version of truth. We have another version of truth, uh, which is very, very much a postmodern way of thinking. Uh, and and the, the postmodernists in the COVID era, for example, uh, they uh, if the if the if the truth, transcendent truth, truth to which we can strive, in the scientific realm, it means truth that uh, goes toward a constantly Changing, refining, moving forward—idea of of progress and data. If 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 that version of truth, which is data-driven, uh, contradicts their truth, their local version of truth, i.e., vaccines are safe and effective, which they are not—they're neither safe nor effective. If it contradicts with that, then they basically either stopped counting, which they did. I mean, they they literally stopped sharing the data with. Uh, with the public, when uh, in the you know the, the 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 graphs in Ontario and BC and Alberta and so on showed that um, not only were were the vaccinated much more likely to contract COVID, uh, literally several times more likely to uh, contract uh, COVID uh, infection, uh, they also started uh, becoming the largest percentage of people. Uh, being admitted to hospitals and dying mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. COVID too, so uh, once that happened, they started uh, not either not counting at all, or which I, or just not sharing the data, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know essentially saying that this is this is our version of truth, and you have to you have to lump it and follow it. So I think that is where medical ethics is now. Unfortunately, is driven by big pharma by greed and by the desire of uh, elites to control the population, including young people. And that's really tragic.
0: A lot of good points there. Um, So you sort of touched on that you got this old training as a surgeon and contrasted it to how, I guess, residents are being trained now, how students are being influenced by the universities. And so, sort of how this, how thought is evolving in universities. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also in an interesting position, too. You have medical training. You said you have a background in patient safety, and you're also doing a lot of teaching. Um, so, my question is when the universities were sort of very hard on students saying, you have to get, you have to take this vaccine to be able to come to class. In the most egregious examples, you have to take this vaccine even to do online class. Um, And obviously, based on what you said, you're opposed to this. So being in a university, um, a place where there should be open discourse and debate, um, did you have any pushback against this Were colleagues like, oh, um, responding to what you're saying or challenging you or students challenging you? What was that sort of like? Did you have any discussion with any other professors or students? about the
1: vaccine mandates at university? Oh yes, plenty of of discussion uh, because uh, it is very important for us to advance the truth. Uh, Even if it's uncomfortable, uh, even if it defies what we believed earlier, uh, it is important to follow the evidence, follow the data, uh, and to uh, make sure that we are not holding on to outdated dogma um that is a, a new way of looking at things, a new way of uh, of, of of coming to conclusions that is the that is the, the 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 pit, the marrow, the core of the scientific method. We put forward hypothesis, we test the hypothesis, data arrives, we look at the data and then we refine the hypothesis or change it. So, uh, early in the pandemic, uh, that was back in 2020. I, um, I, for the first few weeks, I would say from March to April, I supported uh, some of the measures that the government was doing, uh, including uh, lockdowns, because I thought at the time that they are, they are saying that this is a new virus it, it lets the let the data come out and let's give the government a bit of a rope. Uh, and uh, and then um, late April, early May, I discovered certain things what that was happening which was very uh, similar to what happened in the Soviet Union. And uh, let me let me elaborate a little bit what 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 I mean is in the Soviet Union, Uh, there was a totalitarian control over different arms of society, including the media. And I became interested in the Soviet Union as a teenager. Uh, I had read a very influential book. Uh, It's called Tortured for Christ by Richard Wombrand. And I was very influenced by that book. And I decided to study the Soviet tyranny. And I have been studying it for several decades uh, when this happened. And I realized that some of the methods being used were, in fact, the same methods that happened in the Soviet tyranny. That is, uh, you know, media, for example, has to be an independent way of holding government in check. In other words, they, the role of media is not to be a vehicle for the government but to be an independent way of writing about the government about life about society and so on that challenges critical thinking that is the role of western media as we understood it but the media became during the covid pandemic i'm
0: talking about you know ctv c
1: Um, in check and to account, they actually started becoming an arm of government, just like, you know, there's an arm of government like, uh, you know, the uh, revenue, uh, arm of government uh, defense, arm of government uh, and so on. This became an arm of government media. And that's exactly what was the case in the Soviet Union. Uh, And then they started using, you know, terms like misinformation and disinformation which were also uh, right out of the Soviet playbook, um, and uh, and and some of the some of the uh, words they were using um, became so reminiscent and extremely similar to what was in the history books of the Soviet Union that uh, I started becoming really alarmed. And then, of course, they started the censorship. And the censorship was not just of, uh, you know, anybody who uh, dissented from the the official narrative. The censorship was also uh, of experts, real experts, not the fake ones, uh, experts and giants in the field of intensive care. Uh, people like Paul Marrick and Pierre Corey and Uh, Roberto, Umberto, and fellows like that, whose work uh, I had heard about and read about much before COVID. So these guys were being censored too. And that was, again, from the Soviet playbook. Anybody who didn't uh, agree with with the official narrative was censored, deplatformed, uh, demonized, and so on. And that was happening in the media too. So, I decided at that time to look very carefully at the data. And that was, uh, remember, this is very early, uh, back in uh, the spring of 2020. And when I looked at the data, none of it made sense compared to the official narrative. Uh, as you know, I think the Great Barrington Declaration came out in uh, September of 2020 or, or October. That was also based on the data. And based on the data, the the experts, the real experts from Harvard, from Oxford, from Stanford, uh, signed on by multiple thousands of physicians and the lay public, millions of the lay public around the world, uh, that was demonized again. We know that even from the emails exchanged between uh, Francis Collins, the NIH director, and, and Anthony Fauci, and so on. It was there was there was a definite uh, campaign of disinformation by not by 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 our side, but by media, by government, by big pharma, by the elites, to 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 discredit and demonize the Great Barrington Declaration. And during that time, I did engage with medical students, with residents, with. with surgeons and other specialists and family doctors and so on, and I didn't get very far uh, at all. Uh, I think I got better results and better responses from uh, medical students and uh, and nurses rather than from surgeons. But um, the, when the when the uh, COVID criminal enterprise started rolling out the vaccine to our kids, who are our future. Uh, that is when I decided I will have a press conference, uh, which, which I did, uh, which was attended by Global News and CTV. And, and the recording of that um, uh, conference uh, was in the evening news. Uh, and of course they tried to, Global News actually was much fairer to me, uh, I must say. Uh, the local version, not the national version, and that could be because the local version has a little bit more independence. Uh, but the but the newspapers, including the Star Phoenix, which is the local newspaper, uh, they uh, they seem to take uh, pleasure in trying to demonize and deplatform and and sort of uh, make uh, fun of me, sort of thing. Um, of course, the fact is. Uh, the, the 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 facts spoke for themselves. So I knew that I was on very solid ground. And because it was a question of informed consent and it was our children involved, um, to me, it was a very easy decision. Um, the fact is the ch- healthy children don't need the vaccine. They can be harmed very seriously by the vaccine. They can die from the vaccine. And the vaccine is many times more harmful to a child than any type of COVID uh, infection. Uh, to give you uh, an example, a child is much more likely to die of a car accident than of COVID. So healthy children uh, do not need the vaccine and the, and the uh, COVID criminal enterprise uh, was pushing the vaccine on our kids. So if I had not spoken out at the time, I could not have lived with my conscience. Uh, And I'm very uh, pleased and grateful to God that by the grace of God, I was enabled to speak out. Uh, Now, following that, a week after that, I was was in what I would call a tribunal with the dean, the chief medical officer and the acting department of head. Uh, the department uh, head of surgery, and I was fired from my contract, uh, and uh, and essentially for asking for informed consent um, and for looking at the science. So that is uh, a little bit about my story and about my attempt to influence public opinion. But uh, you know the the work we are doing. Uh, is I, 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 It may seem to us that these are long, lonely hours at the wheel, but I would uh, urge people watching this video, including students, of course, to continue to resist tyranny, continue to resist um, magic and follow science um, because what they are pushing is really uh, fanciful magic we know this vaccine doesn't stop infection, doesn't stop transmission, can have very dangerous uh, side effects, uh, has caused, um, you know, untold numbers of cases of um, serious side effects, including myocarditis in young people. Uh, and we know that. So our our advocacy on behalf of those who cannot advocate for themselves, especially our children and our young people, is bearing fruit. And let me give you uh, some statistics I heard, about, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And what I what I what I learned is, uh, in the last six months, eighty three percent, eighty three percent of Canadians haven't taken a single shot of this COVID vaccine. Now, before that, of course, a lot of people took one dose, two dose, maybe three doses, some have been taking, now they're up to the fifth dose. Uh, it's completely ridiculous. But it, it, it turns out that the, the work we're doing on behalf of science and medical ethics is bearing fruit. Even more heartening is that, you know, the COVID criminal enterprise rolled out this COVID injection for our four-year-olds and under now many young people uh, including university students high school students and below up to the age of four had already tragically taken this unnecessary and unsafe covid shot but um, the the four-year-old and under which was rolled out i think about three months ago only one percent of canadians canadian kids have been injected now one kid is too many, uh, who doesn't need it. Um, but one percent is 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 good, rather than you know seventy percent or fifty percent. So we are. Um, uh, I think we are making progress. People are waking up to the truth, and to the uh, the fact that they have been lied to, misled, and manipulated.
2: Absolutely. yeah it was uh, uh, just to to go back to those who hadn't heard uh Dr. Fre- Christians um press conference it, it reminded many people of, of such basic terms as uh, of course informed consent but but also relative risk as it became such an important discussion with children um but thinking in, in kind of terms of a, of a solution based process here it seems that potentially um, the reason i mean to be fired for advocating for such a basic thing and, and not having actually the support of people Again, it is, is somewhat um, indicating a, indicate, an indication of, of a, a lost uh, or a lost connection with, with the divine truth. And, and I'm wondering, if, is there a solution? You see, it's going to be a kind of <laughs> a largely proposed question, but in actually reinstating that and reinstating that within our universities here and, and, and going forward in the sense that we can, we can kind of uh, regroup and... and and head in a, in a direction which we would value such things as this and, and not uh, leave, leave ourselves so susceptible to, to human fault and human errors. Is, is there potentially a potential path to that? You know,
1: that's that's a, an excellent question. And that is that is the nub of the matter, isn't it? We uh, we have lived through uh, a extraordinary time in, in our lives. Mm-hmm. We've lived through a lot of trauma. Uh, and, you know... Our, uh, our vaccinated brothers and sisters uh, are also victims too to the to the to the to the campaign of fear and intimidation. and they are uh, in in most cases as much victims as we are uh, of the mandates. So um, uh, you know I'm, I'm 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 not talking about those vaccinated individuals who were demonizing us and including unfortunately our Prime Minister who was calling us names and so on. Uh, I'm talking about the great majority of people, some of them are friends, our family, uh, who just didn't know better, who were misled, who were under this blanket of fear that the media had put on the population and so on. So what is this the the this the the, the step forward? In the out, out of this morass we are in you know there's a the, there's a verse in the Old Testament of the Bible uh the prophet Jeremiah was it was probably a time like this or probably maybe uh, an even worse time than this the nation of Israel had uh, completely disobeyed God and done terrible things to themselves and to the people around them And, um, and and the prophet Jeremiah says, the heart, the heart, the human heart, that is, the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? So I think that is the core of the problem that confronts us. Many people are looking at political solutions. And I think, uh, you know, we should engage in politics and in uh, in 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 trying to to change uh, the system, but as Mahatma Gandhi said, we have to be the change we want to see. How do we do that? Uh, now in our Western societies, for example, uh, I'm uh, you might know already that from the speech I gave at the, at the Free Speech and Medicine Conference, and from my Substack and so on, that I'm a Christian. Uh, I believe uh, in Jesus. I believe in uh, the incarnation, that is, uh, God becoming man in Christ, dying for us on the cross and giving us a new life because of the resurrection, so that everybody who believes in Jesus lives forever and lives a new life forever. In other words, eternal life, which Christians have believed in for generations and centuries. Um, I do not believe that Canada or any Western nation was a Christian nation at any time in its history. Uh, I don't even think that that is a possible uh, concept even,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but there, but society had what I would call a Christian consensus. Okay, so, um, you know people lived by christian rules even if they didn't believe in christ or went didn't go to church or were atheists they believed in the christian ethos a christian method of looking at the world our laws the common law which governs canada is really a, a derivative of the bible and of biblical influences so that with the assault of on truth, the assault on reason, the assault on the romance of truth and reason, the assault on 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 God and transcendent truth by the postmodernists and the Frankfurt School, that is gone from society. So that is the core of the problem, and I think that has to be addressed. We have to uh, we have to realize that. You know, for example, a lot of people rail against our school system, uh, high school and below, not realizing that the teachers in those schools have been through the same universities, have been indoctrinated by the same postmodernists that I was talking about for generations, at least two generations have been indoctrinated by the professors who now inhabit the corridors, the halls of learning of our universities. So the solution, I think, goes beyond politics. It it goes to, um, on an individual level, we need transformation of people's lives. And we need uh, a, a change of heart for, for mankind. Uh, we need uh, a, a, an ability to see the world in a different way. And and that may not be you know an, a solution you can you can come to with a you know a snap of your fingers, but it is a lasting and a real solution. In the meanwhile, we are we have to fight this tyranny, because we are on the side of truth. We cannot possibly bend over backwards and say you know we we give up, we have no choice. We have to fight, and we have to fight peacefully, non-violently, with civil disobedience. Uh, and effectively. In fact, in my substack, I have a an essay on it's called Why Civil Disobedience? And I make some observations there on the methods of effective civil disobedience, uh, which I would um, ask your viewers to please read.
2: Okay.
0: So I've just been thinking. Um, The university, just back to the university experience, they sort of fed us this thing that was, you need to get vaccinated to protect someone else, or you need to do this to protect grandma, and sort of telling us in a sense that it's an absolute truth. And what you're saying is um, essentially that God has been taken out of many people's lives and these institutions' lives, or not lives, but out of these institutions. do you think that has given way to allow people to now focus more on material materials, like um, traveling, um, like going, seeing friends, um, like education, such that they would just be like, okay, I'm gonna take this vaccine, even though I may not have otherwise did do that. Do you think there's a interplay between um, belief in God and sort of putting your faith in something beyond material value, um, do you know what I'm getting at there?
1: Yes, yes, of course. Um, and I think that's uh, that's a, an extremely important uh, part of uh, the narrative of uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, look, if a person's hope is only in the next holiday or the next cruise, or the next big gift you get for Christmas, or, you know, the next um, hockey game practice, then those things become idols. Now, you know, when when we in the West think of idols, we think of things like, you know, an idol of a false god and so on. That's not the New Testament idea of an idol. An idol is essentially anything that say, takes the place of God in our lives. So. Uh, If we believe that there is transcendent truth and that comes from God, uh, if an idol such as, uh, you know, um, um, the next holiday or traveling and so on uh, becomes more important than the truth, then yes, it'll have a devastating uh, effect on individual lives and by extension society too. So yes there are some people who essentially went and got a shot because they wanted to travel wanted to play hockey or you know wanted to keep their jobs uh look there are there are several degrees of coercion in this and if you are coerced into taking a a injection which is both unsafe and ineffective I would argue that these could constitute crimes against humanity. So I see the people who rolled up their sleeves, so to speak, mostly as victims. Some of them, of course, made very flippant choices, uh, but they were only given that information and they consumed uh, that kind of information all the time. So that I think was part of the conditioning and that is don't ask questions. Don't search beyond, you know, beyond the curtain. Uh, just look at the what we are telling you. We are telling you the truth, and that's what the Soviet Union did—communism mm-hmm. and the tyranny of communism, or Nazism, for that matter—said uh, to its population that look, we are the arbiters of truth. We will give you what to believe. Don't. There's no need to go beyond that, and that's the rational way of thinking for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I think that, that, that has led to these mandates, but the coercion, you know, mm-hmm. you can't keep your job unless you get this job, that is criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know that there are several groups suing the various levels of government for that. And I wish them, you know, all the best because, you know, these are, these are values that are important for society, mm-hmm. uh, yes. freedom, freedom of choice. Uh, now mind you, uh, A free society doesn't mean the freedom to do anything, okay? So the freedom, um, for example, we do mandate the wearing of seat belts. And if you don't wear a seat belt, you get a fine. But remember, an injection is not like a seat belt. Uh, A seat belt, you can actually take, get in and out of, whereas an injection is in your body, you can't get rid of. And a seat belt has not been demonstrated to cause harm, whereas the COVID injection has been demonstrated in multiple studies to cause multiple levels of harm to multiple populations of people. So there is no comparison uh, between the society's requirement for a seatbelt, for example, and the COVID injection. They're quite diametrically Mm -hmm. opposite things. Mm -hmm.
2: This kind of level of coercion which which just can't be understated um it feels as if it, it did play very much into, into the fact that uh, you know individuals began to almost and are very much so our government and supported by the media played uh, took the role of, of in their minds of, of somewhat of a divine figure um and and began to ensure that people would would see them as such through methods of coercion now as as time progresses here and we're able to see the the, um, the realities of, of simply man-made decisions and, and man-made truths independent truths and, and the difficulties which arise from 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 such a society being fu- functioning in such a way do you think that actually this would would drive people or lead people in the path to to, to come to uh, for, for example Christianity uh, you know a, a higher God and and the practicalities of, uh, of, of such a religion
1: Uh. I think the answer is yes uh, you know when when mankind uh, womankind <laughs> you know um, um, when mankind uh, feels out of its depth, then they they reach for something or somebody beyond that that feeling of hopelessness and loneliness and I can tell you that, uh, in this movement that resists tyranny, uh, millions and millions of people around the world who are joining this hopeful movement against tyranny uh, that you represent, that um, you know, all of us represent, who are on the side of truth and history, um, uh, on the good side of history, on the right side of history. Uh, a lot of the people in this movement, you you would know, I I know from meeting hundreds, thousands of these people, that a lot of them are Christians. Uh, Now, why is that? Uh, I would say about 60% of us resisting the tyranny are Christians. It was the same in the the Soviet Union, by the way. Um, And it was the same in Nazi Germany. Now, uh, why is that? The, the, the reason I believe is because uh, you see, what we call Western civilization is a geographical construct. It doesn't tell anything about why that civilization turned out the way it did. Uh, because the same influences had it been in Africa would have produced the same result. The Western civilization is actually a Christian civilization. It is the influence of Christ across so many centuries that has given us some, some ideas, some ideals, some ways of thinking, which, which, which basically have led to things like freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, um, um, and, um, and academic freedom, which is a function of freedom of speech. Um, those charter rights, which Canadians look to and so on. So I think Christians realize what is at stake. So that, uh, uh, that I think, is one important reason. Mm-hmm. Christians also take their, their cue, their commandments, their, their, their orders, not from uh, a temporal power, but from God himself. So this actually terrifies our opponents because Christians realize we are indestructible. Uh, this body, you know, is very, very important, as the as the Bible calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the destruction of this body that we wear is not the ultimate thing for us. We are indestructible because we, because of Christ and what He did on the cross and the resurrection, we live forever. So that is another an extremely important aspect of why Christians are in the forefront of this fight against tyranny. But remember, there are a lot of non-Christians too, in not just in Canada, but in the West and around the world who are fighting this tyranny, our brothers and sisters who have joined with us. Some of them are atheists. Some of them uh, are hippies and they want the government out of their lives. And they're welcome to join us. Uh, You know, uh, I really think that that segment, large numbers of people, millions of people who may be Hindu, Islam, atheists, uh, and so on, who are also on our side, are on, you know, we are on this path together. So uh, we welcome them. We, we, we believe that, 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 that we, they will lead, you know, we, will go, we are going in the same direction to a truth, um, transcendent truth. Uh, and we believe in the same things. So um, I think you're right that um, this has been an awakening for a lot of a um, lot of Christians, a lot of people who believe in God, and a lot of coming back to God for people who have gone away from God, and a, and, a, and an encounter with the living God for people who don't believe in God at all. Um, and 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 this has been a wonderful thing because. You know, the experience of the cross reminds us that as Christians, we can use suffering, not just bear suffering, but use it for uh, transcendent and eternal goals uh, like Jesus did with the resurrection. He turned what was the worst thing that could happen to mankind, the cross, and turned it into the best possible thing for mankind, the resurrection. So I think, uh, you know, to go back to your question, yes, uh, it is leading more and more people to see that transcendent truth. The Christians and non-Christians, uh, you know, Hindus, uh, Muslims, uh, I've met and uh, and um, discussed this with a lot of them. Uh, they are on our side, very much on our side. We're we are on this, uh, you know, common journey to truth together.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: very well said um i think the silver lining in all of this is the suffering like you said um just thinking for my own personal story um going through like 2021 january it was really dark and um was like the starting to onset of all the vaccine mandates up until 2022 january it got really bad um just thinking in the media how it got so skewed so darkly I'm just, it comes to mind that one Toronto star sort of front page where it said something along the lines, it was like from some healthcare practitioner saying like, I hope the unvaccinated die because they just can't deal with these people type of thing. And even like you said, our prime minister um, just calling people who don't want to take a vaccine somehow racist and misogynistic, just with an objective mind, it just seems so insane that it's it has to be something of the order of like communism like you said it just doesn't really make any sense somehow you just don't take a pharmaceutical and now you're racist it literally has no connection Mm -hmm. um but anyways going back to the university mandates um what is your advice uh to students so we still have university vaccine mandates that's western looming so january coming up Um, At the University of Manitoba, they're still forcing us to wear masks. Um, So what advice would you give to students sort of to navigate this, to oppose it? Um, What should we do?
1: Um, Absolutely oppose it. Um, You know, um, your grandmothers might have told you an old saying, it goes like this, help is wealth. You know... Uh, you may think that you can get this and you know go back to school and get your degree and so on. But if you lose your health, if you get myocarditis, for example, it's a very very bad condition. It can it can kill you literally. So health is wealth. And uh, you know the fact is, you can. Uh, you, at this time in your lives, you may think that a university exists, uh, education is the end all and be all of your future. What I can tell you, and I, you know, I've been through my whole life was spent in, in universities. And as I, as you know, I was the professor of surgery in the University of Saskatchewan. So, what I can tell you is, a university education is highly overrated. There are many, many things you can do with your life, uh, at least until this madness blows over. You can take a break. You can start a business. You can do other things. You can learn a trade. Uh, until, you know, this madness, this crazy time passes over. Uh, do not compromise your, your beliefs, your core beliefs your belief in truth, your belief in reason, in the data, in the evidence. If if a university is asking you to take the vaccine against all the evidence, we know that all the evidence is against it for healthy young people. Is it really worth studying in that university? I mean, uh, if you, this university, which supposedly is supposed to be a center of learning, doesn't believe in evidence, obviously. So what is the point of going to a place of learning that doesn't believe in evidence? So no matter how much the, uh, the enticement of a university education, it is highly overrated, believe me. And, and you can do several things with your life. I mean, you're young and you have the, the world is your oyster Um, You know, people regularly did a lot of things even before they entered university. Nowadays, nowadays they don't. Uh, And you should hold fast and hold strong until this crazy time passes over. And tyrannies do pass over. Um, No tyranny lasts forever. And every tyranny has a defined lifespan. Uh, I would would say the most important thing here is to remember what Jesus said in the gospel according to St. Mark. There's a verse in the Bible that says, what does it profit a man if he gains the, the whole world but loses his own soul? So if you have resisted the mandates, remember you're keeping your souls intact. It's worth more than the world.
2: Yeah, yeah, pretty uh, uh, quite a beautiful statement, and and uh, some incredibly wise words about about uh, personal progression and personal wealth and and uh, personal growth. I mean, and uh, and so um, Brandon, do you have any, any further questions? Any follow up questions? I think that's it. a uh,
0: good good place to stop right there. Good
2: place to stop. Okay, wonderful. With Dr. Christian Francis, Francis Christian, pardon me. Thank you so much for for sharing your time with us and and departing such wise words and and uh, and advice to. To students and to, to everybody listening, it's it's been uh, such a pleasure and um, the kind of education uh, we uh, you know we're lucky enough to have from someone like yourself. So so we thank you so much and uh, for all you've done and um, appreciate it. Thank you.
1: It's a pleasure and privilege to be on your show, and uh, I wish you all the best. God bless you.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank you.